Our text for this morning is 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1, 2, and 3. Very well-known words. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I have gained nothing. We'll voice our amen after the sermon by singing from hymn 49. Hymn 49, 1 through 4. Love, brothers and sisters, in the Lord Jesus Christ. As I just mentioned, these are very well-known words, probably one of the most well-known passages in Scripture. You find these words on, in cards, anniversary cards, wedding cards. You find them on plaques in people's homes. It's truly a singular passage, isn't it? Of beauty and power and poetry. It's a magnificent song of Christian love. Now the Apostle Paul penned these words for a very specific reason and in a very particular context. Paul is addressing the church in Corinth. It was a vibrant church but also a very chaotic church. The church members there were caught up in trying to cover up their divisions by boasting about their spiritual gifts. And so Paul is writing to them, he's answering all their questions about these gifts, but he's also showing them a more excellent way. The congregation in Corinth faced the the potential of being splintered on on the basis of all kinds of conflicting allegiances. I follow Paul, others said I follow Apollos, others said I follow Christ. Then there were arguments about all kinds of expressions of spiritual giftedness and the value of those gifts. The church of Corinth was marked by confusion in many areas of the Christian life. About which leader to follow, about sexual immorality, chapter 5, about lawsuits, chapter 6, lawsuits against believers, about the principles of marriage, about food offered to idols, and about the Lord's Supper, And Paul is dealing with these issues one at a time, and now he reaches a point where he sets this magnificent chapter between what he wrote and what he's about to say in chapter 14. And so it's helpful for us to look at this chapter through the eyes of the church members in Corinth. And then if we do that, we find that these words are extremely impactful, because the words of our text uncover our weaknesses and expose our failures These words reveal the sins in our life and in the life of the church. It reveals the sin of being proud of outward success, the sin of legalism, the sin of taking ourselves too seriously, the sin of thinking that we're doing quite well as believers and as congregation. These words, brothers and sisters, are a challenge to any church, any congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a chapter that... It really cuts us down to size, doesn't it? It tells us that what we think is often very important isn't really important at all. 
It tells us that it's possible for us to be busy in great spiritual activities, but if we have an unspiritual attitude, then we are nothing. If you do not have love, it forfeits everything that you do. It cancels everything that you say. So I proclaim to you that we are called to live in the most excellent way of love. We're called to live in the most excellent way of love. We'll consider the nature of this love and the purpose for this love. First of all, we have to define that term love. And love as it's used in 1 Corinthians 13, love in the biblical sense. It's the love, the kind of love that comes from the love of God. The God who loves people who are totally unworthy of his love. That love can only proceed from God himself. It's undeserved. It's a love that proceeds from the nature of the lover and not of the nature of the one who receives the love. Again, it's the kind of love which sinners receive from God. And it's reflected in the unique love of God in Christ. God displays his love gloriously in his beloved son. He gave himself, he sacrificed himself, he poured himself out for his people and for the salvation and well-being of unworthy people. People like you and me who have to be rescued from our own miserable selves. Just think of it. Would you be part of God's church if God had not moved you? If it was left up to you, would you be sitting in these pews? You think that you would receive the promise and accept the promise of eternal life if God just left it up to you to choose? The truth is that if we're left to ourselves, we do not choose God. And we do not want to serve him and we don't have faith in Christ unless it's given to us by the Holy Spirit. Left to ourselves, we would just do whatever we want. And that would mean eternal death for each one of us. But God is faithful, congregation, and he blesses you and he comes to you. He reaches out to you. He ensures that you hear the gospel and he gives you faith and he blesses you with the Holy Spirit. And this is his sovereign good pleasure. He does this because of his great love. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he makes, he makes us share in the same Christ-like love. A giving love. A self-sacrificing love. Aimed at serving the other. Aimed at the well-being of the other. And this kind of love is not calculating. It doesn't count the cost. This love does not count its happiness in having or receiving, but in giving. It's a love that directs itself after God's will. And we know what God's will is, don't we? That we have to love him above all and our neighbor as ourselves. And in scripture, love has the primary place amongst all the gifts of the Spirit. Love comes first. You read in Galatians 5 or Colossians 3, love has the place of primacy. It's the pinnacle of Christian virtues. It is the most excellent gift. And without this gift, all the other spiritual gifts would not be able to function. That's what the apostle is pointing out here. And we all need to be reminded of this, don't we? As we are busily engaged in all that we do for the Lord, we need to be told that without love it is nothing. Your work, your family, your accomplishments, they mean nothing if you do not have the love of God in your heart. 
If your heart is not right with the Lord, it means nothing. And you have gained nothing. Without love for God, serving the Lord amounts to no spiritual gain. But, but if you are truly right with God, then your efforts are powerful in serving the Lord because he blesses you in that. And the Apostle Paul makes this abundantly clear by using very exaggerated illustrations. He's really overstating his case, but he does it to make a point. And he begins with speaking about tongues, the gift of tongues. In the previous chapter, you will have noted that the gift of speaking in tongues comes at the end of the list in verse 30. It's the last thing he mentions. Do you speak in tongues and do you interpret? And that's intentional congregation because the believers in Corinth, they put this on the top of the list. But in reality, it was the least important. And that's why Paul begins with this gift in chapter 13, verse 1. He begins rebuking their lack of love by focusing on their very, their most prized possession. Tongues, of course, was a legitimate gift. But the congregation there was using it selfishly, inflating their egos, trying, trying to be part of the religious elite. So, so he calls them out on it. And then to make his point even more clear, he speaks of the tongues of angels. Speaking hypothetically, for the sake of argument, let's say, I have been given the golden tongue of an angel. Even then, if I do not have love, I am just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And Paul has in mind, of course, the things that he's, gonna, that he's writing about in the following verses. He's thinking already ahead. He's thinking about attitudes and attitudes in action. The greatest demonstration of love in action is being patient and kind with people who are not easy to be patient and kind with. And so what Paul is writing here is, is deeply searching, isn't it? It forces each one of us to search our own hearts. What does it say about me when I am easily irritated by the actions of others? What does it indicate about you when you feel self-satisfied when, when someone else's character flaws are made public? To our utter shame, we have to admit that often we're not only quick to believe the worst of others, we're even happy to do so. We don't need to be taught that sort of thing, do we? It comes quite naturally. And obviously the saints in Corinth were lacking love to a major degree. They had knowledge, tongues, and other gifts, but they were lacking in love. And so Paul says the result of tongues with no love is just a pile of noise. All you are is a pile of noise. And note he says, he's using the word I, first person singular. He's, he's, see how he's taking the sting out of his rebuke? If I... If I speak in the tongue of angels, if I have prophetic powers, he's very pastoral in his approach. He's, he's modeling the love that he's calling for. And what's true for speaking in tongues, congregation, is true for all kinds of speaking, for the way we express our fellowship. If there is not true love for one another, then we are just a pile of noise. If I preach the greatest sermon, give the most profound advice, and speak most eloquently, but I don't have love, I am nothing. It's just empty talk. Even if I would speak with angelic eloquence. And this should give us pause, each one of us pause to, to examine ourselves. 
I need to look into my own heart. Do I truly have the love of God in my heart? And if I am speaking the truth, do I speak the truth in love? Does love govern all my words? When I'm speaking to my spouse or my best friend or my parents or my children, we should never open our mouth unless we have a true spirit-produced love for the other person. And so it's obvious Paul is elevating this fruit of the Spirit above all other gifts. And then he goes on in verse 2, it's true of the gift of prophecy as well. Prophecy is a, a revelatory gift by which God makes known the truths of his kingdom and the mystery of the gospel. And again, Paul uses an exaggeration because no one can understand all mysteries and no one has all knowledge. Even in heaven, we will not have that because God remains omniscient. But Paul says, what if I had this? Wouldn't that be an amazing gift? That'd be Incredible. Imagine what a blessing to the church. Think of how a church could grow if, if, if a preacher like Paul had all knowledge, could answer all your questions, could solve all the pastoral problems in the congregation. But even if he had this without love, he is nothing. A love of knowledge, but no love for people, is just someone who is a noisy gong <clears throat> and a clanging cymbal. It's good, of course, that we strive after knowledge and that we understand sound doctrine and the mysteries of the gospel. Truth is critical to our development as followers of Jesus Christ. But if it doesn't translate into love, love in the heart and the soul, it's nothing. We can have a right head but a wrong heart, a head full of correct knowledge but an empty heart. And this has always been a a great danger for God's people. All too easily we fall into that same kind of thinking because it's a legalistic way of thinking. Thinking that you are better than others because you have a certain kind of gift or talent or because your kids are doing pretty good in life or you have a successful business. Well, success and order and accomplishments are all great. But without love they are meaningless. And living according to the rules, the rules of God's word, well, that's important. But living according to God's rules without love is also meaningless. If you're living that way, it means you are blindly walking down the road to hell. If your knowledge doesn't transform your heart, if it does not make you more like Christ, if it does not make you love your neighbor, if it does not transform into the fruit of the Spirit... Your knowledge may be real, but without love, you are still nothing, and you gain nothing. And Paul says this is even true of faith. Even if I have all faith, faith to move mountains, without love, I am nothing. If I use my faith for my own self-interest, if my prayers are always focused on myself, If I have mountain-moving faith, but only for myself, it means nothing. And Paul has more to say. Even if I make the ultimate sacrifice, even if I give away everything I have and I offer my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. 
And we know that in Scripture, the Lord puts a premium on loving the poor and taking care of them. And if you would see somebody selling all their possessions and giving them away, you might say, wow, what an example of Christ's likeness. But while we look at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. God looks at the Christ likeness behind the act and sees the motivation behind the act. Again, you can go to the nth degree to do what is right, but if it is not motivated by love, you gain nothing. And Paul is really, really pushing the point here with with all these exaggerated metaphors. But the conclusion is the same. God looks at the heart. God sees whether or not you are in it for yourself or if you really want to serve him. He sees if you are genuinely interested in others and if you want to make sacrifices for the highest good of your neighbor. So tongues without love, faith without love, giving without love, prophecy without love, anything without love is nothing. And we should all be challenged by this congregation. And convicted too. I must be and I must become a person of abounding love. If my ministry is to have any value at all. And this is true for parents, for husbands, for wives, for teachers, for office bearers, and for each member of the congregation. I find these words extremely convicting, and I trust you do too. And the reality is that the Holy Spirit must convict our hearts. He is our teacher, and he is bringing this home to us. We should all be sensing a greater need for love, because it's the greatest virtue. When Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? He said, you must love the Lord your God and your neighbor as yourself. And scripture says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You cannot separate the two commandments. You can't. And so the only way to have greater love for your neighbor, congregation, is to have greater love for God. How can you show God's love in your life and to your neighbor, it is first of all by loving the Lord. You, you show it by giving yourself completely to the Lord. The greatest gift that you can give to your spouse, to your children, to your grandchildren, to your friends and your neighbors is to love the Lord. That's the greatest gift you can give them. To be right with the Lord yourself. It also means that you love his word that you honor his word, and that you fight to protect his word, and that you accept his word as the only guide in your life, the only absolute truth. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convicted that one died for all, and therefore all died. God's love compels us. God's love controls us. Can you say that for yourself? Is the Lord and his word, is that central in your life? And how is that exhibited in your homes, brothers and sisters? 
Do you show God's love to your siblings, boys and girls? Do you show God's love to your spouse, to your parents, to your children, to your friends? Can they tell from how you act that God's love compels you? And do you live to serve? And what about your employer or your employees or your coworkers or your classmates? Do these people know you as someone who models the love of Christ? Do they see that in how you live? Or are you legalistic in your approach to friendship and parenting? Are you mostly concerned with the outward appearance of good behavior? Are you, or are you mostly concerned with what motivates that behavior? When you fill your life with a desire to know the Lord, only then will you truly know his love and be able to love your neighbor. If we... We need to take a moment, too, to reflect on again on, on why the Holy Spirit wanted the congregation in Corinth to hear this message. Why is love the ultimate fruit of the Spirit? It's because we need the love of God to live to the glory of God. If God is to be glorified in us, then we need to display His love. If tongues and prophecy and knowledge and faith and sacrifice is nothing without love, then it's also nothing to God. Without love, we dishonor the Lord, no matter what we're doing. Without love, we, we debase the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because his sacrifice was the ultimate display of selfless love. When you read through the first part of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, it, it's... It's heartbreaking to read because you can just sense there must have been so much disunity in that congregation, so much bickering, slander, petty behavior, self-serving attitudes, even animosity towards one another. It must have been pretty bad. How could a congregation like that be a witness to the world of God's love? How would a congregation like this be able to stand shoulder to shoulder to face the world when it was acting as if the enemy was within? Because a house divided against itself cannot stand. In congregation, we we need one another, don't we? And we know that. When tragedy strikes, we need one another, and by God's grace, we are able to pull together and help those who are in need By God's grace, we're able to show a lot of love to people who are hurting. That's indeed a great blessing and a reason for thankfulness. There is much love in this congregation. But there is also much love lacking, isn't there? Because that's the way it is. We are all selfish human beings and sinful people. It's hard to rightly love one another in the right way all the time, isn't it? We all lack in this. The congregation, we are God's children, and we are called to love. We're called to bear fruit. We can't just simply be satisfied with applying love to, to one or two aspects of our lives. We can't pick and choose. The entire spectrum of our life must be infused with love. You see, love must be the servant of your will, 
and not the victim of your emotions. Love must serve. Serve God and the neighbor. Have you ever wondered how easy it was for God to love you? We don't don't have any redeeming qualities, do we? That God would place his love on us? We're not any better than anybody around us anywhere in the world. We don't have such wonderful characters that would attract the righteous and holy God to us. And yet God shows his love to us, sinners. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How can that fail to motivate us to love God and to love one another? Well, this chapter, congregation, it teaches us that Christ turns our universe around. Because Christ loves us, we are called to make him and not ourselves the focal point of our lives, the center of our life, and we are to love him above all. And because Christ loves us, we are to love one another. We are to love those of the household of faith, especially those for whom Christ died. And having life in Christ means life together with all who believe in him. It means that you take a loving interest, a genuine loving interest in the lives of others. Because after all, if we are part of the body of Christ, we desire the preservation of the entire body, do we not? We desire the health of the entire body, do we not? This is why at the end of the chapter, Paul reiterates the primacy of love. So now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. And we have the example of our Savior to show us the way, don't we? Consider how patient and kind he was. When he was accused... He turned the other cheek. He did not return insult for insult. During the Last Supper, he washed the feet of his disciples, and he even gave a piece of bread dipped in wine to Judas. And when he hung on the cross, he provided for his mother, and he prayed for his enemies. Perfect love. He displayed perfect love. The greatest demonstration of the love of God is found in the cross of Jesus Christ in the gift of the Son of God for sinners. And there is no other way to salvation, boys and girls, adults of the church, there is no other way of salvation than to commit your life to Him and to repent from your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and be born again. There is no other way to receive the love of God than through Christ, your Lord and Savior. But when you receive that, you will find a river of love flowing into you and out of you to others. A river of love that comes from God. And then you can begin to deny yourself and love him and love your neighbor. Congregation, may it be our prayer that individually and as a congregation, that we would abide in Christ, that we would rest in him, that we would follow him, that we would commune with him, that we would rely upon him. And may his love flow in us and out from us. And as we draw near to Christ and observe his love, 
May it be our prayer, too, that we are transformed from glory to glory until the last day when we will enjoy this in perfection. Amen.